right. Good afternoon, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Good. Um, I'm seeing a couple new faces here, so I want to introduce myself first. My name is David Ha, and I'm what they call the M&M pastor here. Um, that stands for music and media. Oh, actually, actually, no one calls me that. I just made that up. Um, but I actually am the worship pastor and media pastor here. So uh, W and M doesn't actually flow off the tongue as well. Um, but if you see like the worship ministry, the podcast, all the graphic design stuff, that's under my field. So if you have any gripes with those things, you can come and talk to me about it. If you're like, oh, I can do better than what they're offering, then come and talk to me about it. We would love to have you. Or if you feel like you want to learn something about those areas, come and talk to me as well. Um, we're open to anyone joining, whether you want to learn, whether you want to offer something. So please come talk to me after service if you would like to join one of those teams. Um, so let's get into the word today. Uh, last time I preached, it was about two months ago, and we kind of went into the basics of what worship is. It's kind of like worship 101, like how do we do it, what do we do, why do we do it, all that stuff. And we talked about worship being a response to what God had revealed. So worship is a response to God's revelation. And that worship, it's not just the 30 minutes that we just had at the beginning of service. It's not just those three, four songs and the one song at the end of the, so at the, end of the sermon. Um, it's actually a way of life, right? It's a lifestyle. And I kind of want to pick up where we left off last time uh, with a quote that I ended with by Andrew Phillip. Um, this guy is a music producer and a keyboardist for uh, this big organization called Soul Survivor and Vineyard. And he had to say this about worship. The shape of our lives determines whether what we do when we gather on a Sunday morning or afternoon, in our case, is an expression of worship, something that truly brings glory to God or an expression of our selfishness or disunity. God hears our hearts far more loudly than he does the sounds we make. And in this kind of theme, it kind of reminded me of a passage that's found in 1 Samuel. And, and it says this, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What are these things saying? It's that our response is not necessarily an outward response. It's not if I raise my hands during praise. It's not if I sing these songs, right? It's actually an internal response to the revelation that God has. One thing I did not distinguish last time, though, was, is there a difference between worship and praise? The short answer is yes, but very minutely. It's like sometimes we use praise and worship interchangeably, and we, we think that, oh, these are the same words, right? But they actually go hand in hand, but they do have different meanings. So first of all, praise, when you think of the word praise, it often deals with like thanksgiving or joy. And we, when we think of worship, it kind of has to do with reverence or submission. Secondly, praise can actually be given to anybody. Like, I can praise Brian. Like, Brian, he led a great service today. A great, uh, like, those songs were amazing. I was really moved by them to seek the Lord. Like, these are, this is a, a praise that I can give to somebody, right? Let's give it up for Brian, by the way. He did an amazing job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was an example, but I really mean it from the bottom of my heart. Um, love you, Brian. <laughs> so, see, praise can actually be given to anyone else, right? But worship, when you think about worship, we can only wor worship one person, one being. That's God, right? 
Finally, praise can often be a sign of worship, but worship is kind of like the overarching category of praise. So worship is a way of life, while praise can be an expression of what worship is. So since I spoke about worship last time, we're going to go into a bit of what praise looks like. And we're going to explore this idea of praise by looking at a passage. It's actually known as um, one of the greatest pieces of writing in all of history in the Christian circle. And an English poet by the name of Samuel Taylor Coleridge, he even called it the divinest composition of man. Wow, it's high praise, right? So we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Ephesians chapter 1, it's after, uh, after Galatians and before Philippians. Random fact of the day, random Bible fact. Paul's letters are actually arranged by length, not by any other reason. So it's not by when he wrote it or how important it is, actually just by how long they are. So Romans is the longest and Philemon is the shortest. Okay, I hope that gives you enough time to turn to Ephesians. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for, the, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. Wow, that's a really good passage, right? Very theologically rich, has a lot of content in it. And actually, if we had time, we'd probably go forever, but there's so much theology in it, we could probably like break it down. But before we continue, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the rich inheritance that we have. We thank you for the blessings that we have in you through your son. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds. Give us ears to hear and hearts to see what you want to speak to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if we were to break down this passage, again, it would take forever, but I kind of want to go through it with you. The first verse and the second verse is typical greeting that Paul gives in every one of his letters. And he 
always starts with identifying himself as an author and identifying the recipients. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And he always gives like this blessing, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is actually a common greeting, not just in Christian writing during the day, but in, in, during the first century, it was common in the Roman world. This is how they always started letters, right? And ordinarily, Paul always starts his letters uh, by addressing an issue. He always says, like, this is why I'm or writing this letter to you. Like in Galatians 1, he's trying to address a false heresy that's going around. Or in Corinthians, he's trying to get people to worship correctly, right? He's, they're misusing their spiritual gifts, so he's trying to address that. Or he's writing a personal letter to somebody, like Titus or Timothy, so he's trying to teach and correct or encourage his disciples, right? But in Ephesians 1, we don't see this. We see something completely different. We see something extraordinary. Okay, we don't see Paul address an issue. Instead, he goes off on this really long theological rant, right? It's like basically God's plan from the beginning of time until what happened to Jesus, present time Jesus, right? And this passage is so rich that you could... Preach about so many different topics. You could talk about Trinity. You could talk about redemption, adoption, the will of God, predestination, spiritual blessings, and, and on and on and on, right? There's so many things in here that we could talk about. But the one thing I want to talk about is actually has to do more with the context than the content. Okay, so we're not going to look really at what adoption means or redemption means or all these things. We're going to look at the context of what he's writing, okay? And we see him repeat one phrase multitude times. What is that phrase? To the praise of his glory. Or to the praise of his glorious grace, right? We see this three times. Verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14. But if we were to look at verse 3 again, it says, Blessed be to the God of our Father, right? If you were actually to translate it in a different way, the NIV actually transla translates it this way. It says, Praise be to the God. So this whole section, this whole theological rant is based on the premise of praise, begins with praise be to God, and ends with to the praise of his glory, right? In fact, if you look at the Greek, we're not going to look at it together because that's my job. I'm supposed to exposit it for you. If you look at the Greek, it's actually just really one really long run-on sentence. In English, we have like commas and periods and stuff, but in the Greek, it's just a bunch of different phrases put together to make one really long sentence and it's almost as if he's singing a song right praise be to god i'm not going to sing for you today but sorry maybe later but paul here is trying to teach us something with what he's saying so what can we learn through paul from this passage about the praises of god the first thing is that praise happens in humility Praise in humility. Here's one thing that Paul teaches us in this chapter. It might not be explicit. It's not saying like, oh, you have to be humble. But it's something that's implicit. Paul is explicit about this in other letters. But in this portion, he's not saying that, oh, you have to praise in humility, right? He's trying to say this. And I want you guys to repeat after me. Praise, praise. is not about me. One more time. Praise, praise is not about me. Not about so why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, praising about you. 
Praise ain't about you. <laughs> Praise ain't about you. Right? This, sound, this sounds kind of harsh. We're, we're, as, a, as a person, as a human being, it, we, we kind of want everything to be about us. But it's actually very liberating. Why is this liberating? This means that praise isn't determined by how awesome or how terrible I sound when I sing. It's not determined by what mood I am in when I walk through these doors. This means that praise isn't about how well I know the new Hillsong album, right? Praise isn't about me. And Paul clearly shows us this. If we look at the subject of what this passage is talking about, Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, right? And skip to verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him. And in verse 5, in love, He predestined us, right? To, verse 6, He has blessed us in the Beloved. Verse 8, He lavished on us, and on and on and on. It's all, all about He. Who is He? Blessed be the God, right? God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The subject is God. There should only be one focus in worship, in praise, and that is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. I love this old doxology song. You guys know, we sang it actually a couple of weeks ago, by, led by Brian again. It's praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Not, nowhere in there does it say me or I, all right? <laughs> praise God. Praise Him, right? Praise is about God. And this is echoed in other parts of Paul's writings as well. He says in Galatians 6, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Praise is about God and his plan and his glorious deeds. And if you're feeling kind of bad right now, it's like, oh man, I wish I had something to do with it. Why am I sitting here right now listening to this if it's not about me? I want to reassure you again, praise ain't about you. But that's not the full story that we see, right? That's not the full story that we see even in this passage. Praise ain't about you, but it ain't not about you either. Double, double negative, yeah. Praise isn't about you, but at the same time, it is about you. So why don't you turn to your neighbor again and say, Hey, chosen one, praise ain't not about you. <laughs> Praising not about you. It's, you see, it is about us. I'm, I'm getting a little technical here. So grammar nerds, get, get ready. While God is the active subject, he's the one doing everything. He's the one that chooses. He's the one that adopts. He's the one that lavishes. God is the active subject. We are the passive object in praise. Everything that happens, happens to us, Right? How blessed are we? We're the chosen ones. We're the ones that are adopted and redeemed and forgiven. We're the ones that God chose to lavish these gifts on. If this isn't the gospel, then what is, right? It's all about what God has done for us, not what we can do for God. Oh, we need to praise God this way. No, God has done great things in us, for us, and through us. 
We all, always need to remember, praise ain't about us, but it ain't not about us. Praise is about God, what God has done on our behalf. Praise in humility. Number two, praise in unity. Praise in unity. Grammar nerds again. The predominant pronoun that is used in Ephesians regarding, like, us is not you, right? It's not you are blessed or you are chosen. It's not even me. I was chosen. God did this for me, right? It's, it's us. The predominant prefix that's found here is us, we, right? You may be thinking, Rev Dave, you're looking too much into that. You're being too grammar nerdy. You're looking too much into the word, the Greek words, right? That could just be a coincidence. First of all, please don't call me Rev Dave. It's a terrible, it sounds like a terrible rapper name. Secondly, I don't think it's a coincidence. Paul's a really smart guy, and he's very intentional with the wording that he uses. And I believe that he was actually trying to emphasize the we-ness or the us-ness in our faith. That our faith is a common faith. It's not just a personal faith, but it's a common faith. And this section is like a recap of what Christ is doing in us. And this is an important aspect of this praise song that Paul writes. It's, uh, let's look at verse 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, I don't know about you, but usually someone's plan is pretty important or someone's will, right? If you can find out what they want, that's like usually what we should aim for, right? And if we didn't know the mystery of God's will until Christ came, and Paul is telling us that his will is to unite all things in him, what do you think his plan is, right? The point of Paul using the us pronoun is to point to God's will that has already been laid out for us. And he actually expounds on this idea in Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God the, by the Spirit. And this is actually a really big theme throughout all of Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, it again talks about the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace and how there's one body and one Spirit and one baptism, one Lord, one faith, like all these different things. And the goal is to attain unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's our purpose. That's not only our purpose in life, but in praise as well. This whole idea of pr bringing people together into unity under Christ has been God's plan, and that's how we should praise as well. Remember the Tower of Babel? This is a story in the Old Testament in Genesis. God actually divided people. And you might be thinking, like, why would God divide people if he wants us ultimately to be united? The simple answer is because of man's sinfulness, because of man's pride. They wanted to be like God. But his plan, God's plan all along was to unite people under 
Christ. This is why we need unity in praise. This is why we're sitting in this room together on a Sunday, giving one voice, body, giving our hearts as one offering, as a church, as a church body, as one body to God. I'm not saying that there is no place for individual worship. Okay, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying, yeah, go for it. Go worship at home. Go praise, sing, sing songs of God in your prayer closet, whatever you do, like wh- wherever you want to give praise to God. But remember that ultimately God is coming to save a people, not just one person. Okay? That's the will of God. Praise in unity. So up to this point, we talked about praise and humility. Remembering that praise isn't about, about you. It's about what God has done for you and in you. And praise and unity, that God's purpose and mysterious will that was revealed in Jesus Christ was that we would be united under him. The last thing that Paul teaches us is praise in adversity. Praise in adversity. So I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but suffering and adversity is a part of life. Even as Christians, wow, that was very strong. Mm. Wow, okay. Everyone's going through some suffering right now, I guess. Even as Christians, we're not guaranteed a non-suffering life. We're actually guaranteed a suffering life. And as Pastor Susie preached last week, blessed are we for going through persecution and suffering on Christ's behalf. But many times when we face adversity, we try to figure things out on our own. We try to be more patient, be uh, oh, I feel like I can handle this on my own. I feel like I just need to understand my situation more. Right? That's, that's the normal inclination that we have. But as long as we have our first two praises fortified, as long as we can say, God, this life ain't about me. It's about you. And God, I have people around me that I can worship with, I can praise with, that I can lean on then naturally the third thing, praise and adversity, will come stronger, will become stronger. In other words, when, the more we strengthen our praise and humility and our praise and unity, our praise and adversity will be strengthened as well. The Apostle Paul, he's actually really strong in these two areas, humility and unity, right? He knows who God is. He knows who he is in God. And he knows that he's united with brothers and sisters and the saints, And because of this reason, he's able to write this letter. And why am I saying this? It sounds like he's having a good life, right? He's like, oh, praise be to God. But if you look at his current situation while he's writing this letter, he's actually not doing too hot. He's not in a good situation. At the time of writing this letter, he's actually being held as a prisoner in Rome for a crime he didn't commit. He's under house arrest. He can't go anywhere. He makes it very clear that he's a prisoner. In uh, chapter 3 and 4, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So if any man has experienced adversity, it's this guy right here, right? It's Paul. Yet, he's still able to say, Praise be to God. In fact, this isn't the only time he's been to prison. He's actually been to prison many times. And if we look at the book of Acts, there's, it's like the whole uh, chronology of what he did 
as a missionary. And many times, wherever he went, he was stoned or beaten or thrown into jail for wrongful causes. I want to look at one of these instances. It's actually in Acts 16. And I'll summarize it for you. Uh, basically, I'll do a little bit of contextualization as well. Try to make it more modern. Paul and Silas, his buddy, uh, his missionary buddy, Silas, they're going to a place of prayer. So they're just minding their own business, walking down the street, going to a place of prayer. So let's say they were going to K1 on a Thursday night. They're just walking down the street, right? And then they run into this girl who has a spirit of divination. What that means is like she can, she's kind of like psychic. She can pr- like prophesy or like see the future. So she's kind of like a tarot card reader or a palm reader, right? So Paul and Silas, they're walking down the streets of Hongdae trying to get to K1. And this tarot card reader jumps out of her store and starts yelling at the top of her lungs. And she starts yelling this. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Okay, that's true, right? She's not lying or anything, but she's just being very annoying. Like, no one asked for this. And they are being chased around by this girl, not just that one time, but day after day after day. So they're walking down the street in Hongdae, and she's saying this. They're in the subway, like, just minding their own business. And she's screaming this at the top of her lungs on the subway. They're just, like, shooting hoops in the park, and this girl just comes out of nowhere and starts yelling this, right? So, of course, Paul is known as a saint, an apostle, great teacher, great missionary. He's going to be like, no problem, right? No problem. No, he actually gets annoyed. It says he got greatly annoyed at this. He said, girl, stop chasing me around, right? No, he says, what does he say? He says, He basically commands the demon in Jesus' name to come out of the girl. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And then the spirit left. Right? So no longer can this girl is inside of her, tarot card reader or a palm reader, because she lost her ability from the spirit that was inside of her. And this girl, she has to pay her rent. She has bosses to pay. She has people to feed she goes to her bosses and her bosses are like where's our money and she's like i I can't do the thing anymore i can't read the future anymore so the bosses they get a bunch of gangsters together and this is a very korean thing to do get gangsters together and they go and beat up paul and silas and they throw after beating them up they strip them of their clothes and then they throw them into jail this is a pretty terrible situation right Like, Paul and Silas didn't ask for this. They were just minding their own business. And then this girl started yelling. And then all of a sudden, they're in jail. But what do we see Paul and Silas doing that night in prison? In verse 25 of chapter 16 of Acts, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Let me read that again. About midnight, Paul and Silas we're praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I don't know about you, but if it were me in that situation, I'd be like crying or like begging the guard, like I didn't do anything wrong, like something, right? Or even if I were singing a hymn, it would probably be like like a gospel hymn, like nobody knows the trouble I've seen, right? Something like that. But no, they have the resilience to sing praises to God, even in their sucky situation even in this adverse situation 
This speaks a lot about Paul's faith, Paul and Silas' faith. Paul's praise was based on the position of humility that he took, knowing that even this problem that he was facing, it's not the end of the world. His praise was with Silas, a brother in Christ, singing in unity with him to God. Their praise was in the face of adversity, having been beaten and thrown into prison without a cause. But when we inflate our adversity, when we inflate our suffering or our problems to become larger than life, right? When, we, when the only thing that comes out of our mouths is like, oh, this problem, oh, this problem, oh, this problem, oh, this sucky situation, oh, this sucky situation, it becomes like a God to us. And it's easy to forget that there actually is a God that blesses us. I'm going to read a psalm for you. It's from Psalm 103. And it's a reminder of how we should praise. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Doesn't this sound a lot like Ephesians chapter 1? Now, this is not to say that there is no room for complaint. Okay, there's no, it's not like saying, oh, Christians are just going to be happy all the time and we're going to wear a fake smile around like, hey, like, uh, no, we're not going to do that, right? In fact, if you look at most of the Psalms, 70% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Lament meaning they're pretty much complaints towards God. (laughs) Remember, the Psalms were used and is still widely used as the, the hymn book of Jewish people. And more than half of these songs are about crying out to God. God, this sucks. God, can you do something about this? Please help me, right? Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever with my youth, with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. That's the beginning. The end goes like this. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? So at the beginning, he's saying, I will sing of your, lo- your great love forever. But at the end, he's saying, where is that great love? <laughs> but honestly, the Psalms are actually better known as praise in the presence or absence of God. See, sometimes there are moments in life where we feel God's presence very close. It's like, I know God is with me. God is is with me through the struggle. But there are times in life where it feels like you're all alone. It's like, God, where are you? God, what happened to that love that I first felt? There are both of these times in our lives. So there is a time for complaints, even to God. We find that psalmists complain about illnesses, about family issues, about bad superiors. They've they complain about all these things, but most Psalms, no matter how many complaints that they have, they usually end with a praise. Psalm 89 ends like this. After, where is your former great love? It says, the last verse says, praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. It's like 
a reorienting of our mind. It's a reminder that even though this is a sucky situation, God is still in control. Even Jesus, while hanging on the cross, gasping for air, suffering on behalf of mankind, and staring death in the face, he quotes a psalm of lament. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, in the face of adversity, Jesus is calling to mind a psalm that most of the people that could hear would probably know, right? Most of the people there were Jewish or Roman. It's as if he's saying in his dying moments, God, this is my complaint, right? But then that's not how that psalm ends either. It's like playing a game of like, guess the next line, right? God, Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everyone there would have known that the next verse says this, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And he does this again. He says, into your hand I commit my spirit, Psalm 31. And that psalm ends like this. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord perseveres the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Adversity can look like many different things. It can look like suffering. It can look like persecution, disease, self-turmoil, right? or even a disability. That, And while we can acknowledge the reality of our situation, we, we must remember the real reality that God is in control, that he is worthy of our praise, and that we are backed and supported by the saints. There was a famous hymnist, um, that was active during the 19th century, late 19th century. Her name is Fanny Crosby. Um, you may know a song that she wrote. It's called Blessed Assurance. Um, but when she was young, she actually went through a life-altering experience. And when she was six weeks old, just an infant, um, she came down with a fever, and her eyes started swelling like crazy. So the phys physician said, like, hey, we need to put these chemicals on her so that the swelling goes down. So they got a rag and put the chemicals on her eyelids. But because of this, she became blind for the rest of her life. But still, she was able to begin writing songs of praise at an early age. She wrote her first song when she was eight. And she wrote over 8,000 hymns of praise in her life. And a person close to her actually asked her once, Fanny, do you ever wish you had not been blinded? And her response was, well, the good thing about being blind is that the very first face I'll see will be the face of Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. My question to you today is, do you know who God is? Do you know who God is? Do you know who you are in God? Do you know who these people are next to you? My prayer for us today is that the revelation of God, the revelation of who we are in God, increases ever and ever, day by day. Let's bow our heads in prayer.